0: Dive into the thriving local arts, entertainment, and food scene with coasting editor Jerry Boggs and his guests. Let us be your guide to the creative
2: South Coast.
1: all right Welcome, everybody, to another Coast and Podcast. We're glad to have you back, and we have another uh, special guest in our uh, tiny Coast and Podcast studio. Uh, Jeff, I'll let you introduce yourself to everyone.
0: Hi, my name's Jeff Angeli. Uh, I'm here from. well, from a couple different places. I run a music lesson organization in the North End in Hatch Street Studios that's called South Coast Lessons. And I am the person who's responsible for all of those crazy fiddle jams that have been popping up in different places in the last couple of years uh, through an organization called Old Time Fiddle Session as well. So
1: That's fun. Uh, and you're here to talk about... Uh a concert you've got coming up this weekend with uh, the uh, the Breaking Up Christmas.
0: It's true. Yeah, I have a really, really big show. We do quarterly events in addition. We Well, step it back a little bit. Old-Time Fiddle Session does monthly events, uh, mostly free old-time fiddle jams. That's expanding this year. But we've also been doing large quarterly events, and this is our – First one that we ever did was Breaking Up Christmas, and this is the biggest one that we do. We go all out on this one, so Breaking Up Christmas is a super fun event. It goes off in just a few days on Saturday, December 29th from noon to 6. It's going to be in Hatch Street Studios on the second floor, and we just have all kinds of fun <laughs> things lined up for you.
1: Excellent. And how did you, uh, I, I guess, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, you're, uh, you're from the region originally?
0: I grew up in Taunton, uh, right in the center of Taunton, Uh, lived there until I left for college, and um, after that I roamed around a little bit uh, for a year or two, and then settled down in the New Bedford area for most of my post-college days. I spent a couple years in North Carolina, um, and a couple years just generally traveling, but I've been... In and around New Bedford, most of that time.
1: And did you come from a musical family? Is it uh, did you grow up playing music? Did your did your parents, or uh, is this kind of an addition later on in life?
0: Um, well, I played music from a young age, and I was always encouraged to play. But I, my parents don't play instruments. Um, I often credit my grandfather, my Vu, with being the person who really brought. A lot of music into my life. He had a huge record collection, and just a wide, wide palette as far as taste goes. And he was a big gardener. When my parents were working, when I was a little kid during the daytime, I would go over their house, of my Mame and vuvu's Voo house, and. We would spend part of the day gardening, part of the day outdoors, and then when we came in, we'd grab a fistful of records from downstairs that he had from various places, and it'd be anything from Spike Jones to Willie Nelson to uh, Burl Ives to really random field recordings and Basie's big band stuff, all kinds of cool things.
1: So, so Did you have uh, formal musical training, and did you then just kind of pick it up and start, uh, start teaching yourself?
0: Well, kind of both in a way. I I feel lucky in that I've had the best of both worlds that way. I um I took trumpet lessons when I was in school. I was in a school band playing brass. To be totally honest with you, I was never really um passionate about the brass music and to this day I find the trumpet the most challenging instrument that I've ever picked up. I still play it and it it just fights back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I, uh, I, I learned to read notes and learned formal rhythm training, and I actually even I went to college for music. I did uh, a year as a music student, studied solfege and theory and all that kind of stuff before I, I ultimately transferred into another major. But uh, when I was in high school, I took up the bass guitar because there were some guys who had a rock band and they needed a bass guitar player. I didn't even know what a bass guitar was or what it did. (laughs) But my sister had an old guitar in the closet. I was told that the bass guitar had two strings, so I ripped two off. (laughs) Showed up in somebody's garage the next week to audition, and since they didn't know any other bass players, it didn't seem to matter that I was playing something that I didn't know how to play on an instrument that wasn't really a bass. And my string instrument... um, my string instrument learning has all really descended from that <laughs> crazy punk rock band in a garage being played with an acoustic guitar. I, I, uh, I went on... My dad bought me instruments at various times, uh, birthdays, Christmases, and that kind of thing. And one of the things that he bought me one year was a fiddle, and I, I couldn't figure out how to tune it or what to do with it, so it sat around until um, one day when I was in college... I was really into kind of—I had gotten into Bob Dylan and traced that back to Woody Guthrie and traced that back to uh, older stuff like Carter Family and early field recording um, stuff, particularly Southern Appalachian stuff that I got really into. And um, there was a guy—it was a college campus, you know, weird things happen. (laughs) There was a guy outside my window playing the banjo and I hollered out the window and I asked him for a song and he was like, come down and play if you play any instruments. I went down, I played guitar with him and again, almost like the punk rock band. Next thing I knew, I was playing guitar in a bluegrass band and uh, I made the mandolin player and the banjo player and the fiddle player teach me a whole bunch of (laughs) what they know. So
1: So how many instruments do you play?
0: You know, people ask me that and it, it sounds like a weird thing for me to say, but I don't actually know the answer to that question. <laughs> I play a lot of instruments, but the thing is a lot of instruments are really related to each other. Mm-hmm. So like there's some instruments that I guess I wouldn't say I play them because I don't own them, you know, but, um, but if it's someone like a violin is one. tuned <laughs> it, traditionally a violin is tuned in fifths. And it's just like the distance from one string to the next. Mm-hmm. Mandolin is the same thing. Like it's literally the exact same thing, except it's played with a pick. So if you can play the violin, you can play the mandolin if you can play with a pick, which I can. And an Irish tenor banjo, and a bouzouki, and a citurn and a viola, and a mandola, and a number of other instruments. That are, tenor guitar is tuned in fifths, tenor banjo is tuned in fifths. So there's a lot of instruments that are tuned similarly. And then there's the ones that I've actually taken the time to put time into, I think that a lot of times the instruments talk to each other and and it's just a matter of a musical approach that allows you to allow them to have that conversation. Some people play a lot of different things and some people specialize on one. But it's true with brass too. You know, if somebody can play a trumpet, uh, a tuba is like, it's essentially a gigantic trumpet. (laughs) Oh, it really is. I mean, I can't play a tuba and I can play a trumpet. Again, I, I think brass is... I respect brass players. I think brass is intensely difficult, mm. but it's all about the embouchure. It's the the buttons that you press to play a tuba are really no different than the buttons you would press to play a trumpet. You just got to get used to that really large, um, loose mouth opening to mm. play tuba.
1: So, Fascinating. I'm yeah. I am not musical, so it's all uh, it's a little bit like you're explaining. Uh, you know, rocket science to me. So, uh, it's, so many <laughs> I owned mm-hmm. a guitar in college, and uh, it sat in the corner and looked at me ah, yeah. with, uh, <laughs> and judged me for every time I walked past it. You should
0: take it back up if you like it, man. It's never too late for that. But, yeah, they're all kind of based on, like, a handful of templates, right? So you get your, like, flutish instruments, which would have been once upon a time like a tube with holes on it. All right? Now, like, we've got all these instruments. they got, like, 7,000 buttons. But those <laughs> buttons are really just... They're meant to take the tube with holes in it and <laughs> cut the holes into mathematical distances to make uh, new combinations that you can't really get by just kind of thick-fingering with six fingers. But if you learn how to play um, a tin whistle, which is very legitimate traditional Irish instrument, the only difference between a tin whistle and an Irish flute is one of them points sideways and the other one points down. Hmm. The only difference between an Irish flute and a modern flute is that somebody's added metal buttons onto it. So Neat. those six holes would be roughly in the same place.
1: So, so you're you got into Dylan, and that led you back down the the path to kind of the old time um, traditional music. Yeah, was, uh, And what seized you? I guess what kind of took hold? Um,
0: I, you know, I mean, who knows? This is you know, forty one year old me guessing at what teenage me was thinking and man there's so many things that I thought <laughs> in my teenage years that I don't even want to guess what was going on in my psychology to figure out what was really happening but I guess in a lot of ways you know I was in a constant hunt for authenticity you know and a ridiculous rock bands that I were in and stuff like that we largely wrote our own music there's a I don't you know now I play mostly traditional music, which is almost the opposite of writing your own music, but there is a there is a feeling of sincerity in having written the music. It came from some place where you weren't just taking somebody else's thing, putting it out the way there the way that everybody liked it, and pleasing everybody with it. you were um trying to create something new, something out of the void with it and uh I guess trying to find that authentic first stream that things came from. And then also, there's, there's something really amazingly powerful and weird about the old American song canon. Um, it's become a lot of dance tunes for me now, too, but there's something in the lyrics and the weird otherliness of field-recorded traditional music. When I found that, I just... I geeked, I don't think I listened to anything but just completely field recordings for about two years. Harry Smith's collection and the uh, Library of Congress stuff and the Alan Lomax stuff. People play with extra beats, missing beats. They're not professional musicians. It's just people playing songs either the way they remember them or their own take on them, and it's powerful. There's a lot of ache in there, and there's a lot of beauty in there, and and it's the kind of ache and beauty that was passed down authentically from person to person for a very, very, very long time.
1: So. It is also compelling as a kind of a snapshot of history of because they sang about what was going on in their lives. It wasn't a top forty recording that uh okay, here's a here's the uh you know, here's what the public likes today, here's what will sell. It was what's on your mind, what's happening in your life. Right. We get together and, and sing about it.
0: And there's that whole, you know, does art imitate life or does life imitate art thing? You know, our, our society devours things because you have to sell stuff. If you're selling the same stuff somebody else sold last year, you can't sell it anymore. So we move very rapidly through things, genres of music, things that, that would have lasted close to a millennia someplace else it becomes a genre of music that's a decade or two long standing. You know, rock and roll had... 10 years of time, something that you look at rock and roll, early rock and roll is traditional music as far as I'm concerned. There's a lot of it has a similar blues chord structure where over the course of 12 measures, you get the same chords in every song. They had sets of dances that were, they weren't square dances or contra dances, but you know, people knew how they had names for the dances in the early 60s, right? People could mash the potato or mashed potato <laughs> or whatever it is, do the twist, those kind of things. they like, is. At some point, not that long after that, we got away from the traditional structure of music, and I think ultimately, commercially, that's very successful, but it separates the music from the people in a large way, too, because it makes your music another commodity that you purchase and less a part of the fabric of the community that you're part of.
2: Interesting.
1: And you said you you spent some time in North Carolina. Did the music lead you to that region, or did you go and and, and just kind of... Continue uh, discovering while you were there.
0: I married somebody from North Carolina. So um, we got married in North Carolina, and I moved uh, closer to my in-laws for a couple of years.
1: Were you introduced to the breaking up Christmas uh, celebration there?
0: Well, the the tune is pretty familiar to a lot of old-time players because it was recorded, uh, I think, more than once by Tommy Jarrell. Tommy Jarrell is probably the number one most recorded old-time fiddle player. If he's not the most recorded um, old-time fiddle player that was a primary source, he's up there. And his style is really, really captivating. And he also was a wide-open book, which is not true of a lot of these guys. Um, A lot of people, you know, in the 60s, there was a, a folk revival. There was the Back to the Land revival. There were a whole bunch of different revivals, and and one of the things that a lot of people caught on to was this old time fiddle tradition. It's exciting, and when you first discover it, if you jump in whole hog, it's it's all encompassing. And there's, I mean, I I've been at playing old time music for a long time, and I'm always finding new tunes and new players and new traditions and. It's a big thing that you can geek out on for a really long time. and Tommy Jarrell was a guy who, if you showed up at his house, would let you tent in the backyard, and if you wanted to learn a tune, he was retired and he was around, and he'd play music with you the next day, and he didn't care if 20 people had showed up last week. He was happy to just play. And so he was a really, really popular source. He was recorded a lot of times. He was a charming person. And, you know, I mean, you could be a charming person and not want that many people to be visiting your house, but he was also a really gregarious kind of fellow who didn't mind the company, and so, um, he has a really large, casts a very large shadow on the way things are done these days. But the the actual tradition, after my digression of breaking up Christmas, is a North Carolina and Southwest Virginia tradition, um... And I was in Watauga County, North Carolina, for a lot of the time that I was there, which is up near Boone, Appalachian State area. And, um, yeah, so breaking up Christmas is a thing up there. I never went to a breaking up Christmas party or celebration when I was there. It was, uh, you know, it's like here. um, We were just talking off air about how if you were a contra dancer you'd know that there's a place that you can dance just about every week in this area. But if you're not, and somebody told you that there were live fiddle music dances <laughs> just about every week in this area, you'd go, no, that's just <laughs> totally <laughs> not true. It's the same thing with the breaking up uh, uh, breaking up Christmas tradition. I think it's it was a rural tradition in the area that I was in that was connected to longstanding families from the area that I didn't actually have a relationship with.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I grew up uh, in... Central Central Appalachia, just a few hours away in the, in the same mountains, but it really wasn't, uh, that wasn't part of the tradition there. Um, you know, we definitely had the, the old time music and the fiddle music and, and square dances and things like that. But the breaking up Christmas, I had a columnist at another newspaper I, uh, I worked at who, uh, spent a lot of time in North Carolina and he would write about it. Mm. But, uh, it's interesting. It's so, it's a very regional, uh, regional thing that's, uh, popular, you know, in these small pockets of, uh, of kind of a a largely isolated region. So
0: it's true. Uh, the, the style, the style that Tommy Jarrell, Fred Cockrum, some of the other players from that area, um, played in is, is now known as a round peak style, which is the name of like a unincorporated township (laughs) of like 200 people. That's in the near vicinity of where Tommy Jarrell lived and a lot of players all over the country emulate the round peak style and that's that's a song that's central to the canon or a tune rather that's central to the canon of round peak playing so it's um it's spread the tune has spread but i think that the the actual tradition the party tradition is, is still A pretty small rural tradition, a couple counties of North Carolina and Virginia.
1: So what made you want to bring it to uh, New England?
0: Well, that's part of a bigger question in general, I'd say. I mean, the old-time fiddle session and community gathering thing started a couple different ways. Um, Again, that's the name of the organization that puts on the event. Um, When I was in college, like I said, I ended up in with these bluegrass musicians and I loved playing bluegrass, but even bluegrass wasn't it wasn't quite where I wanted to get to. I wanted to be playing older, weirder music. <laughs> um, and uh anyway I enjoy I really enjoyed playing both old time and bluegrass music with the folks that I knew up at, at school, but when I would come home there was like no place to play that music at all. And I found myself going to the same Irish session. And I don't have, to this day, I probably know a dozen Irish tunes. I knew more when I needed to know them. But uh, there's a pub in um, Easton. It has another name now. I can't remember what it's called now. But for a long time, it was called the Blackthorn Pub. And it was owned by a man named John O'Connor, who was a retired math teacher from the Brockton Public Schools. And John was passionate about that pub. He put everything he could into making it. A real I'd say it's more English style than Irish style, but it was the kind of pub where people would sit with people that they didn't know to sit around a session. And, you know, and when I was in college, I did some traveling. I went to Ireland. I spent close to a year total in Ireland. And these are the things that struck me. Like, you'd go to a music session, um, and it'd just be a few people with no microphones around a table in the corner of a room and then these long tables, right? Like a table that's like... The kind of table that you put it in a restaurant around here, three people sit at it, and then there'll be seven <laughs> empty chairs. But in their, in, in their pubs, what would happen is it'd be like, you know, ten people who showed up separately, all sitting in chairs next to one another, and you talk to the person who's sitting next to you. Maybe it's somebody that you knew your whole life. Maybe it's somebody like me who happened to be traveling from America. and You meet somebody, you have a conversation, hear some music... The music's not blasting out through some speakers at you where you can't talk, but it's also given a ton of respect, and um, and it's really the thing that's bringing people to that big table, to all sit down next to each other. And when I had uh, children, when I had my daughter, when my daughter was born um, eight years ago, my entire view of music changed. I had previously been doing a lot of songwriting to traveling to get my songs out there, and then here's my daughter. She's singing her way to brush her teeth and singing her way to bed and singing her way to the table and singing about her favorite foods or her favorite colors, and I I was like, you know, I've been playing this old traditional music and writing songs in that style, and I have completely missed the point. Here's somebody who's been alive for, like, just long enough to talk, and she gets it the music is the connection. It's the connecting point between all the things that we do, all the people that we know. And that plus the people sitting at the big long table is the answer to me. I don't really play very much in the way of concerts anymore. I'm I'm really more interested in how music connects people. So I I credit some people in my life with that. My daughter, um, and John O'Connor and another guy from that session, the guy who ran the the players around the table, Sean Kane, a whole bunch of people that I barely know the name of um, who would sit around tables in West Clare in Ireland, um, folks that I knew from college, in particular Dave Talmadge, who taught me how to play these traditional musical instruments and a little bit of dance calling. And I feel really lucky to be part of something that is a kind of music that connects people. I see it all the time. I mean, I get people who come to the sessions who are retired, sitting down next to people who are just going to college, sitting down next to people who are in middle school, sitting down next to young parents in their 30s and 40s, people who might not otherwise have sat down at that long table together. They're playing shoulder to shoulder. They know each other by first names. They see each other at least once a month and they like each other. It's a really special thing.
1: And Breaking Up Christmas was a way to kind of continue that and spread that gospel a little bit.
0: It's a big party. It's a big, huge party that welcomes absolutely everybody from everywhere. I mean, that's the other thing, too. Is, I mean, I'm very contemporary with all this. Um, you know, tradition is tradition. I think tradition's really wonderful and special. Tradition comes with it. Uh, traditionalists. <laughs> Sometimes people who believe that there's a way to do things. And I'm I'm not that guy. Um, I'm not a guy who believes that there's a way to do things. I believe that there's a million ways and we all find our way through this big mysterious world that we live in. And, um, I want everybody to be welcome sitting at that table. And so breaking up Christmas is our, it is our big yearly party. And it's at a time of year that's really appropriate for that. I think, you know, we're coming out of the darkness, we're coming into a new year and We're coming together as one big community. And I've I've expanded that this year, too, in that, you know, we're doing a lot of talking here about fiddles and banjos. But um, this particular event, uh, this particular Breaking Up Christmas, is going to be the first time that we have, like, a big strummer section. So there's going to be uh, ukulele bands performing. I've got a digital projector that I'm projecting chord changes up on the wall for guitar players and ukulele players and bass players who want to just play pop songs that are scrolling across the wall, and I always fill it with tons of social games that aren't really directly musical in the first place. So there's there's a cookie-baking contest. We have a cakewalk, which is it's musical in that there's, it's like a game of musical chairs to live music. Um, always have the full event's worth of time in organized children's activities. In this particular event, because we're close to New Year's, we have a group called Elements Learning Collaborative. They're a nature-based elementary and pre-elementary school that's going to come in and do mask-making for a masquerade parade that we do at the end of the event. So it's a lot of stuff that just kind of brings people together. The whole idea is... You know, you can come and you can totally come and listen and just relax and enjoy. You're welcome to be whoever you are when you come, whoever you are, wherever you are, you are welcome. But also, if you want to participate in any way, there are, I don't even know how many opportunities <laughs> there are. There's there's games, there's prizes, come bake cookies. I mean, you don't, you don't bake them at the event, but... Uh, you can get in touch with us. Enter the cookie baking contest. The judges are the people who come to the contest. You make a bunch of bite-sized cookies. We eat the cookies. <laughs> we tell you which ones we like. You know, it's it's all about the people who come and them having a good time.
1: Excellent. And uh, uh, speaking of fiddles, I know you brought yours with you today. I, uh, I'm hoping you can uh, you can play a couple songs for us that uh, people might hear if they were uh, if they were coming to breaking up Christmas. I'd be happy to.
0: So the first tune I'm going to play you is actually breaking up Christmas. Uh, this is the the tune I'm hesitant to call it a Tommy Jarrell version, uh, Tommy Jarrell tune because a lot of people have versions of the tune but this is an actual traditional tune that the uh, festival is named after or rather maybe it's a tune that uh, is named after the tradition of the party between uh, well I think that the original holiday is between Christmas and the end of the twelve days of little Christmas, but we do it between Christmas and New Year. So here's something like Tommy Jarrell's version.
1: Uh, can you do one more for us
0: yeah let me think here for a second so this next one is a tune uh this is actually a west virginia tune it's called uh greasy coat comes from a different player than tommy Jarrell. uh this tune is largely known as an eden hammond's tune eden hammond's came from a family of people um who were all musicians uh and they all sound really different And they tended to write what's known as crooked tunes. This particular tune is not so crooked, but uh, it's a a different tradition because a lot of these tunes, like Breaking Up Christmas, is very very much a dance tune. You can call a contra or a square to it. Um, A lot of the Hammond's tunes were just meant to sound good. They're kind of, in a large way, uh, meant as parlor music or concert music. Uh, This tune, though, is called Greasy Coat. It's kind of a common one. Old Greasy Coat. Thank you for playing.
1: That was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I always like playing, and I know y- your names. Uh, you know, some people might recognize your names from the headlines a little bit recently. Uh, congratulations are in order for uh, for a grant you received from the uh, from the city's new uh, arts grants program.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I'm really, really, really excited about that. So that grant is going to make a lot of things that I already do bigger and make some new things possible. Um all in New Bedford in uh, 2019. So, We'll be expanding our old-time music performance, uh, or rather participatory events, uh, and we will also be adding free flatfoot dance workshops uh, and putting some platforms out for people who want to dance after they've learned at the events. I am getting a bunch of ukuleles to teach people who've never picked up an instrument before how to play their first couple chords I can do that in like 20 minutes and then we throw chord changes up on a projector screen and you'll be sitting in a beautiful park on a you know warm summer Saturday night having yourself some dinner or some dessert and strumming along with chord changes on an instrument you never played before learning how to play uke and I'm also going to be doing some traditional old time sings where we just, like, give people sets of lyrics. You don't need an instrument at all, kind of like a pub sync kind of thing where people just sit where they are, join in singing if they want to, or just be around. It's a powerful thing, and hearing just a voice unaccompanied and having a whole bunch of voices going at the same time on songs is really special.
1: So That's, that's fun, and it kind of continues your, you know, kind of... Theme of using music as a community building tool um, and kind of bringing people together, and you know, you don't have a lot of barriers if you're singing a song with someone. You know, you're just two people enjoying the same thing. So, I think that's a, I think that's a powerful thing.
0: Yeah, and it it really breaks barriers in a lot of ways too. And that, like, the thing that I've seen the most over the years teaching lessons is there's too many people who are afraid to sing. We all have a voice, and I've seen people. I've seen people who come in and they're afraid to ever use their voice and sing because somebody told them once upon a time that they didn't have a voice. And I've seen other people who just, they're hiding their light under a bushel. They think that they got something to hide and there's nothing there to hide at all. They just, they have lovely voices, but they're afraid to show them. And I think that uh, because we're so used to seeing these, um, without being too negative about it, but these constant uh, competitive musical Um, presentations on television where it's always about whether somebody can hit the highest note or the longest riff or the most impressive song that we think that singing is this otherly Olympic feat that we can't do when the truth is we all have a voice and maybe this week you sang some jingle bells for the five-year-old or whatever it is but that's what your voice is made for your voice is made to sing songs that connect us as people with other people.
1: And so you mentioned the lessons you do. Uh, I know Steve Freyus in his uh, state of the arts column to plug uh, the print, the print edition of Coasting this week is uh, talking a little bit about some of the uh, some of the uh, inhabitants. We'll call them at Hatch Street Studios, who are uh, spreading their, uh, (laughs) I guess, spreading the gospel or (laughs) spreading some skills and uh, teaching lessons to other people. I know he mentioned you in that column.
0: Yeah, and I I actually like being called an inhabitant too. I think (laughs) it's in keeping with my almost homeless appearance (laughs) those of you who can't i don't know if you can see me in this or not there's 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 a camera here so (laughs) probably get to see my i think i remembered to shave in 2014 look (laughs) and uh the hat that i've been wearing for the last couple weeks (laughs) but anyhow uh yes i do i i I love being in hatch street it's been wonderful being there i've been there since uh february been teaching lessons for a whole lot longer but Hatch Street's wonderful. I'm across the hallway from an aerial arts instructor, three doors down from a woman who teaches uh, clowning arts, down the hallway from a woman who teaches um, realistic drawing classes. So that's Overhead Arts and Daisy Dot School of Clowning and Catherine Carter. And my business is called South Coast Lessons and uh we teach instruments all different kinds of instruments traditional instruments but also school band instruments and rock band instruments and i've got uh since i moved into hatch i've run into some opportunities that i didn't have where i was before i've been able to expand and i do a couple things on larger scale and differently than i did before i've got a team of teachers so more available times for individual lessons for people who are interested with some great folks who are really specialized in some wonderful things. And uh, also, I have 1,700 square feet of space. <laughs> so where before I was doing some small-scale group lessons, I have big group lessons now, which is really great because it's, again, it brings the community in. It's The group lesson is such a neat dynamic because we... Um, I am able to offer the classes for about half the cost that they used to be. The length of time of the class is about double what it would have been. You take an hour class instead of a half an hour class. And then you get in with a group of people who are interested in something that you're interested in. So some of these classes turn into something that's not that different from joining a weekly poker game (laughs) or a quilting club or whatever. You make friends who have similar interests to you. You get together. You do some of that. And some laughing and talking about the week and, and connecting and touching bass and having, ultimately, end, in the end, you know, the same things that you get with any touchstone. The, the people who are, who are the people you can kind of tap when you go, yeah, you know, things actually didn't go my way this week. i got these people I can tell about it, yeah. <laughs> you know. And then you can sing a song with a ukulele and, <sighs> and kind of take your mind off it. and It's a special thing. So, what are the uh,
1: what are the classes? Is what are the instruments that you uh, that, that, that people can learn?
0: So, individual lessons, like I said, they're they're across a huge spectrum. We've got all your standard, um, mostly acoustic instrumentation, but we teach electric guitar and bass. But then, you know, a, guitar is a guitar, so acoustic guitar, uh, upright bass, ukulele, violin. Uh, fiddle in various styles, old time, Irish. uh, I have a woman who specializes in the Irish stuff. Banjo. um, I'm sure I'm leaving out like everything. (laughs) Trumpet lessons. (laughs) Ukulele. uh, Ukulele lessons. Lots and lots of ukulele lessons. Vocal teachers, piano teachers. um, And then for group lessons in particular, I have uh, three leveled sections of fiddles. I have uh, group banjo lessons. I have... Uh, leveled sections for ukulele, and I have a really, really, really exciting set of kids' programs. Um, I have this one program called A Growing Tradition that it's just filling up like crazy right now, and I, I can't be any more thankful for it, but it's built for kids between 6 and 10. I'm a little squishy on the top. I'll let people go to 11, but the 6 is pretty hard and fast. Um, where What I do is I teach... Uh, kids how to play traditional music and the way that we do it is we get them singing first so that they really know the melodies of the songs this is the biggest impediment to learning traditional music is we're not connected to that tradition to begin with so a lot of these tunes have a set of lyrics to them and we sing the lyrics and then i teach a simple barn dance to it so they're dancing and getting their bodies moving to it which young bodies want to do anyway even you know not just young bodies, but young bodies, it helps them remember, you know, the lyrics. So we're learning the lyrics and the dances to the songs. And then I take ukuleles and a special set of strings that I order custom, and I retune the ukuleles so that they're tuned like mandolins. And this is important because to play a mandolin... Somebody told me recently that it takes 80 pounds of pressure to press down the strings on a mandolin. It's just not possible for little fingers. But the size is perfect, and the tuning is the same as a fiddle. So if you take a ukulele, which is easy to press down, you put on these custom strings, you get your players in the group who are out $45 for a ukulele and a set of strings. They learn how to play the mandolin for the tunes that they already know how to sing and dance to. And then by the end of the class, we're picking up the fiddles, which I supply, And the fiddles are tuned the same as the mandolins. So then you just have to figure out how to balance these crazy bows to make the fiddles work. That's amazing. That's fun. So it's a class with singing, dancing, mandolin, and fiddle instruction for everybody who who comes to it. That's excellent. Yeah.
1: Well, Jeff, I appreciate you coming in. We look forward to seeing you Breaking Up Christmas. And uh, thanks for for playing some tunes for us. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh,